Sequel Quest, Episode 79, a sequel to Super Mario Brothers. Hey, Paisanos, it's the Sequel Quest Super Mario Brothers sequel show. We're the SQ crew, this podcast's a game. We make a fake movies you might think are lame. If your franchise is in trouble, start recording all the double pitching stories like no other show is backward to your mother. Over to your mother! Yo, you're in for a treat, Super Quest can't be beat. Got some new movie ideas you might think are neat. It's sequels, it's prequels, it's reboots that we cover. Give Sequel Quest a listen, might become a podcast lover. Yeah, podcast lover! Yeah, SQ crew in the house! Oh, my become a podcast lover! Tonight, we are cutting through the fungus to bring you supersized fun from the Mushroom Kingdom. Joining us, the man who definitely knows how to walk that dinosaur, it's Jeremario. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And though I've been called an evil, egg-sucking son of a snake, don't believe the haters, I'm Adamario, I'm a gonna weave. And piping himself in tonight, a special guest who is a gamer from way back. You know him from his previous appearance on our sequel to The Mask episode. It's Colin! Hello! But I'm not a Mario. No, I could be (laughs) Daisy. How's that sound? There you go. Colin Koopa. Yeah. And Jeff is not with us tonight, obviously. Our Jeff is in another castle. So it's going to be a while. (laughs) (laughs) What are we playing these days? Oh my gosh, there's so much stuff. And E3 just happened, so there was all these really cool announcements recently. I'm I'm a big Dark Souls fan, and the remastered version of that game just came out, so I've been playing that and, you know, just jumping around here and there. I play Overwatch sometimes, but they just announced uh, a remake of Resident Evil 2, and they finally showed, you know, footage of it, and it looks beautiful as well as the game uh, Sekiro uh, Shadows Die Twice that game looks awesome it's from the makers of Dark Souls it's a samurai like feudal Japan kind of adventure game and then there's Ghosts of Tsushima which is a samurai feudal Japan kind of (laughs) but it also it also looks really good and then there's Neo 2 that just got announced and that is a a, an adventure game in feudal Japan uh, with a samurai so there's some really you know there's some cool games that are coming out if you if you're into samurais. <laughs> yes. I hear you just got a, a big screen to play them all on. Is that right? I, I did. It's a nice little little Samsung 50-inch. I, I love right. it, actually. So I don't know if you dared to uh, watch this movie on that screen, but... Uh... Oh, I did. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did. <laughs> well, Jeremy, why don't you start off by telling them what we're talking about tonight, then we'll get into it. Oh, boy. This week we are talking... 1993's Babam at the Box Office, Super <laughs> Mario Brothers, uh, starring Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, Dennis Hopper, Samantha Mathis, 
Fisher Stevens, Richard Edson, Fiona Shaw, and Mojo Nixon, directed by two guys you've never heard of. So the plot, two Brooklyn plumbers, Mario and Luigi Mario, must travel to another dimension to rescue a princess from the evil dictator King Koopa and stop him from taking over the world. So yeah, Super Mario Brothers. I mean, if you want to talk about the modern era of gaming, you know, if you want to discount Atari and kind of like the early, early days, Super Mario Brothers, the original Nintendo Entertainment System, that's where it's at, right? I think that's mm-hmm. where most start their journey before they go back to Pong or, you know. <laughs> well, that's like the most recognizable face in video games is Mario. I talked to an 18-year-old not too long ago, and he told me his first system was the Nintendo GameCube. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And <laughs> in a lot of a lot of people or younger gamers I talk to, a lot of them say, oh, yeah, PlayStation 1. That was my first system. Oh, Crash Bandicoot. Oh, Spyro the Dragon. Oh, and I'm like, there wasn't a kid in the neighborhood who didn't own a Nintendo. Almost everyone had Mario with it. Like, it's, it's as you said, he's the most recognized face of, of video games. But yeah, it's interesting how that was the leveling of the playing field was the fact that everybody could relate no matter, you know, jock nerd whatever from a different country whatever it was like everybody knew about mario so you could talk about that that could be your common ground i mean even my elderly neighbors had a nintendo for when their grandkids visited so i'd literally go over out at their house and play castlevania on their nintendo but the other thing too is i also never personally acquired a large stack of games because i knew you know okay alex has bubble bobble at his house eric had ninja turtles jeff has double drag (laughs) you know brandon has super mario brothers too you know like i don't need to bug my parents for money but where did your journey start colin I had Mario Duck Hunt for NES, uh, and I had the light gun for Duck Hunt. And honestly, one of my first couple NES games, because they were, you know, they weren't mine. They were, I think, my uncle's at the time when I was growing up. I was in my grandma's house. So I played Metal Gear, the first one, Metroid, and Goonies 2, not the first <laughs> Goonies. And What? You know, no. And it even had poster art and everything with like mermaids and like it looked like the actors and it was incredibly confusing as a child because you were like, (laughs) where where's the second movie? Like, I I didn't know there was a sequel. And of course, it doesn't exist, but it was just kind of like, oh, I guess it's good. I guess there's a sequel floating out there in the ether that I will never see, you know, that exists somewhere and, and I'll never see it. But yeah, that was one of my first NES experiences. And then, of course, I played a lot of Mario Brothers and Mario. Mario 2 and Mario 3 and I got a Super Nintendo <laughs> and I played Super Mario World. So I I, I played it a lot. I kind of dropped off at Mario 64 because I didn't get an N64. Mm-hmm. Um, but all, all my friends were playing it. So like, you know, if, if you went to someone's house, like everyone was kind of waiting their turn to play Mario 64, which was another defining Mario game. But I believe this movie came out shortly after the Super Nintendo did. And right. so like, you know, Yoshi and all those new things, you know, Super Mario World was the hot new thing and the hot new location of super mario world was dinosaur land which the game didn't seem to take place in just yet it it had a desert you know it had mushroom kingdom but dinosaur land was kind of the new thing 
uh, for Super Mario World. And I think that's, you know, one of the big main themes they try to push in the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what about for you, Jeremy? I'm very curious to know what your history is, because I know I hear of you playing video games. And yet I wonder, what did you start with? Well, I started with the Duck Hunt Super Mario Brothers dual cartridge as well. Was that inherited nice. from older siblings? No, I'm the oldest. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> like, we we even had Rob the Robot for Gyromite. Oh, that's awesome. I It wasn't bought new. It was bought used, and we messed around with it until it worked again. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I grew up playing them. Mario Brothers 2 is really weird, and it all takes place in a dream. Three is a play. Yeah, three is a play. You're right. The story with two is if if you're not if you're not aware if you're not familiar, it's it's a reskinned Japanese game. So it was originally a different game altogether, also produced by Nintendo, I believe, called Doki Doki Paradise. And it was like a mama, a papa, a son, and a daughter were like the characters, rather than you know Mario, Peach, Luigi, and Toad. And they basically just reskinned it. And then in Japan, they released a sequel to Mario that's a lot like the first Mario, but very very hard you know that's that's the uh, actual sequel to my and i think it was on the famicom disc which was like a disc drive system for the nintendo in japan which we never got over here but yeah that that's why two feels incredibly bizarre is that it's basically a reskinned you know completely different game like it's like a, a 101 arabian nights kind of a themed you know story um and but toad's they, pants will attest to that and toad's pants will attest <laughs> to that but well, his like whole Aladdin. outfit that's actually the main reason why two is is incredibly strange so yeah and it's also the main reason that super mario brothers 2 is actually my favorite of all the mario <laughs> what yeah it really is like i because i started again looks like we're all on the same page here i got super mario brothers duck hunt christmas morning 1988 i still oh, have wow. the picture of my older brother and i playing it for the first time on our old tv oh, wow. with rabbit ears you know it was a big deal you know and i, I played it as much as i could but my buddy had Super Mario Brothers 2 at his house. And so I just would go over there and play it all the time. Plus, it was on the first issue of Nintendo Power Magazine. It was actually about the guy, uh, Will Vinton, who did the California Raisins. Uh, so oh, wow. I just, I love the play of that. It was so advanced from the first one. You could pick stuff up. You know, you could gain extra lives by gambling. You know? mm-hmm. Most of all was the bombs. Being able to pick up <laughs> bombs and throw them with your fighting mouser or blow it up yeah. a wall. There was so many mechanics of it that were innovative i felt like so that was very exciting to me but i also i got a kick out of like super mario land on the game boy yeah i had that one too like a return to the original game but added weird elements and that's where uh, daisy is introduced the princess daisy because in mario land the princess was daisy and that was like the first time princess toadstool or any of the princess had a name because it was retconned later that daisy's a different princess and kind of you know luigi's girlfriend mm-hmm. and she's the one with the brown hair and the yellow dress and then there's peach toadstool so yeah it, there's a lot of stuff there's there's a lot of stuff to draw from here it really is so don't don't get us started on birdo because that's a whole can Let's, of worms yeah yeah it sure well, is and then i got a super nintendo but i bought the star fox edition so i didn't oh. get mario world what ah. but then what really brought me into the mario world aside from getting to play the game 
was the first live action Mario experience. Super Mario Brothers Super Show, we uh, parodied that at the top of the show, but with Captain Lou Albano as Mario. <laughs> and I tuned in, you know, every week afternoon, especially Fridays, because Colin, what played on Fridays? Was it the Disney afternoon? <laughs> Zelda, and they would preview Zelda throughout the week. And I actually now own the entire Zelda series on DVD. I found it at Walmart in a discount bin. Like, nice. Oh, do you remember watching this show, Colin? I did. Uh, the thing is, with the Zelda thing, I didn't remember that because I just assumed sometimes it was on earlier because sometimes those shows were on at the crack of dawn, like they're on at like 5.30 or 6. And I was always getting up too late <laughs> to, to see them. But yes, I do remember. And I remember it was they had very short sketches, these little skits. They had guest stars. So they would have like Magic Johnson or Alyssa Milano. No way. The brother from Mr. Belvedere that everybody thought was Marilyn Manson at one point. Oh, right. Colin, growing up in California, I got to ask you, if you ever saw this, let me know. But there was a live action King Koopa show that was in the style of Bozo the Clown, where there was like a live audience and kids played games. That okay, this, this I don't remember. Nor do I. For real? It was my friend from school, Brent, was in the audience during one episode while I'm watching what? at home. And I was like, what are you doing? You didn't invite me. <laughs> <laughs> you know those like Donald Duck hats at Disneyland? Mm-hmm. Where they gave those, but it was King Koopa's head. And the kids in the audience would wear it. It was hilarious. What? It's like a bot. He was like, hey, how you doing, kids? It's King Koopa. Hey, get up here. You're going to play a game. Hey, there you go. Power glove for you. But was it with like, the head? Like a oh, mascot yeah, costume? Old dragon man costume. Oh, my God. Was a painted green. I mean, this was not just like a guy calling himself King Koopa. Just, <laughs> you know. Oh my gosh. Uh, but then we're seeing a trailer. Super Mario Brothers the movie? Mm-hmm. Video games were going to be turned into movies now. The Wizard had come out in 1988 with Fred Savage, but that was not based on a video game. It just had a no. lot of games in it. It was a very early concept back then. That was still around the same time of, oh, they're only going to make Superman and Batman a movie. Could you imagine if the X-Men were in a movie? They'd never <laughs> do that. Like, we would saying things like that. And so, like, when Mario came out, I was like, a video game movie? Well, I never... like. It was such a new and weird concept. Nowadays, they could say any video game as a movie, and you wouldn't really be surprised. It'd be like, oh, yeah, and great. Is, again, if you go back just a few years, well, I think about 10 years earlier now, but if you look at that, like in the very early 80s, they would make movies about that had video games as like the center of it, but they were fake mm-hmm. video games. Like Tron was right. not a real game until the, it was being developed as a movie. I don't know if you remember that Dabney Coleman film with the kid from E.T., but it was all about this video game that was cloak and dagger the kid played and he imagined his dad as the hero and all this stuff no way yeah not to be confused with marvel's new television series cloak and dagger which is excellent but this is the big question i have so colin and i were talking about this off the air but we pretty sure we went and saw this movie together yeah because yeah, video games were always in the background of our hangout times growing up. We went to the main place mall in Santa Ana, and uh, the disappointment of this movie at the time was <laughs> reality-shattering for me because it was the first time I realized a movie based on something I loved could be bad. Right. And so I right. was happy with this film. Nothing was familiar at that time, supposedly, like, that I that was my assumption was I don't recognize anything from the game. They put on red and green overalls, and there's a few character names and one bubble. Right, and nothing one else. And some Super Scope 6s. <laughs> well, okay, and like now that we're talking about the movie itself. Yeah. 
as an adult watching the movie, it was infuriating to see Mario and Luigi's colors swapped for such a long portion of the film. And it made me think about the fact that, can you imagine all the children that were equally, or if not more so, in just awestruck and infuriated by the fact like why is Luigi wearing red why is Mario wearing green what's happening my world is upside down I mean on top of all the other weirdness in the movie that was such a glaring like weird thing that they chose to do it seemed really yeah I mean there's there's a lot going on there to distract you from that and yet like you said (laughs) we went in with but Jerry, you got a chance to, to watch this as well. Was this your first time or had you seen it before? Oh, no, I've seen this a few times, mostly at gunpoint. But I <laughs> oh no, no, uh, I was this a canon film? Like, that's the only thing I could think of that it was actually would be a this Hollywood terrible. picture. So technically a Disney movie. Wow. Yeah, well, it's weird because that, that, I mean, again, that's that's how I thought about it, right? As it strays too far from the familiar concept, it's not what I was going in expecting. And yet now, especially in the last five years or so, I've owned this movie for a while and I watch it each year. I'm trying to get a new perspective. I'm trying oh my to gosh. convince myself there's something. And the truth is. It's for just being a weird sci-fi movie. It's actually pretty well produced, and you know, (laughs) if you just think about the concepts that they're working with, you have all like the set design and the costuming and the characters. If they had just removed all references to Mario Brothers and called it Danger in the Dinosaur Dimension, you know, I wouldn't have had any expectation. I would have said this is really weird, but pretty cool. (laughs) Well, that's what I was going to point out too: is that it's it's not necessarily good, okay. But there's like a lot of other movies that are just like it, you know, high budget, you know, practical effects. Like it felt like, I don't know, like sometimes the practical effects felt like Demolition Man and like sometimes the buddy comediness of it felt like Bill and Ted or Biodome or something like that. Like it, it felt like other movies from around that era. Like it didn't feel super out of place as a weird early 90s movie is, as I guess what I'm getting at. Well, they um, are the, the studio that produced Son-in-Law with Pauly Shore. So oh, is that right? You know, a similar vibe. Are, are we sure Polly Shore wasn't a writer on this movie? <laughs> he very well could have been. Well, there was enough people involved. I mean, this script went through so many rewrites. Like, there was so many different ideas for it. And it was really these directors, these Annabelle Jankel and Rocky Morton, who had created the Max Hedrum TV series and I actually have it on VHS over here. It's really dark and gross and kind of weird as well. So that's the aesthetic they prefer to work in. I don't know why they were hired for the movie, but what happened was they created a dark kind of serious film. That's what everybody signed on for. And they were really upset at the first read because they realized, wow, you guys changed the script on us. Or because in between, the producer said, wait a minute, this is mainly for kids. And so they (laughs) had other writers come in, rewrite it, add a bunch of jokes, make it goofier and sillier. Oh, wow. 
the when the directors saw it, they're like, no, we're g- gonna keep doing it our way. So on the set, they were just constantly rewriting and changing oh the set. So the actors were just going crazy. They're like, I don't know. I don't even know today what I'm filming, let alone what I signed up for initially. Because also these directors, they were a married couple and they just one had this idea, the other had this idea. So again, it was just chaos, chaos, chaos throughout the entire production where they went super over budget. They they doubled the budget and they doubled the shooting. Nothing was going right. And yet, and yet, I still think the story at least makes sense. Like it's not totally jarring. Yeah. I mean, you know what it reminds me of sometimes is Hudson Hawk. Like just <laughs> like completely overblown, like over, you know, way over budget. They, boy, they really thought it was going to be something. <laughs> Again, people traditionally have picked it apart. But if you go to this website, smbmovie.com. Sorry to interrupt you, Adam, but you mentioned smbmovie.com. And I just had to tell you that there is an exciting bonus episode coming up with Ryan and Steven, who run that website. The amount of research they've done into the film is staggering. The behind-the-scenes stories, the merchandise, everything you ever wanted to know is there. And so... We had an opportunity to get deep into this Super Mario Brothers, the movie fandom, the cult of Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo, the people who have always been behind this film, and now they're getting their due here in the 25th anniversary. We talk not only about what some of the actors had to say, we also talk about how they've managed to take their fandom to the next level, writing a sequel comic book? Who knew? And they're even working on a Super Mario Brothers The Movie musical. For all that and more, keep an eye out for the bonus episode that will be dropping just after this episode. Hey, back to you, Adam. If you break this thing down, there actually are a lot of references that, you know, go pretty deep. I mean, just for example, this is something I never took into consideration, but at the end, Mario and Koopa are fighting each other on a bridge. Uh, he also, oh, uh, Koopa was in the, what do you call that? You know, the big sifting drum that he's in at the end oh, of the movie. Yeah. And he's shooting his fire, his flamethrower, which I didn't notice actually until as an adult was that, oh, they shoot, all the guns shoot fireballs or flamethrowers. Yeah. And he's in the thing and it looks a lot like that weird little clown bucket that Koopa sits in at the end of, you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like how you face him in the Super Nintendo game. I was like, it's kind of a reach, but okay. It is a reference. And a lot of stuff is, it just, it passes by so fast, you don't get to appreciate it. So it's like, they even have like shy guys and those bullet bills, bullet bills get a close up. So you can see that. Yes. They use for their, their jumper boots. So there, but there's a lot of signs in the backgrounds and like kind of dropped in dialogue here and there as well that you'll listen. You're like, Oh, okay. So it's like (laughs) thematically, I don't think they get it, but they definitely understood what the game was was from the screenwriter to the production designer mm-hmm. all of them grabbed everything they could but that's the thing about it is what we really expected the main thing they got wrong 
is Mario is this bright, colorful fantasy world. Right. To make everything greasy and grimy, it takes out the joy that it brings all of us. That's incredibly well put, to be honest. Is is That's, I think, what Nintendo and what's his name, Miyamoto, has been driving for all these years, is that Mario gives people, like, a little piece of joy. Like, it's this little, like, hey, like, it's a little happy thing. And so, to, you're right, like, to strip it of that, it makes it not Mario anymore. It becomes a different movie. Granted, it could be a good movie to some. You know, if you call, like you said, like if you called this like dinosaur world or dimension, dinosaur dimension or trouble in dinosaur world, we probably would have loved it as kids. We probably like, what is this? Like it would have been so like weird and like out of left field and we would have enjoyed it, you know, on a different level. So, okay. So we got to get into this because they're called the Mario Brothers, correct? Yes. And Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo are not the same age at all. No. <laughs> and they share a last name, but he's his son? Well, in the dinner scene, when Samantha Mathis' Daisy reveals that she was an orphan, then right. Luigi gets super excited. I'm an orphan too. I never knew my parents. You know, Mario raised me. Mm-hmm. But it was, I think it was, he was adopted by Mario's parents because Mario talks about Papa later on when he's sharing all his wisdom and so I think what it is is you know the parents must have been older or something and died and then well yeah Mario is old too so yeah I can see that they'd be out of the picture by now so let's let's talk what worked in this movie like the good things because those are the things that we might want to extrapolate on because there are a lot of this no it's true do you guys well, want to go for anything? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, rack your brain for something. Yeah. yeah, well, for me, I feel like the casting of Bob Hoskins was perfect. I think he fit Mario very well. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think he works also, like, even though the world he inhabits is kind of dark, he is not a dark character necessarily. He's a little gruff. He's a little rough around the edges. But he is, you know, an altruistic, very straight-laced kind of guy. Wants mm-hmm. to teach people how to do the right thing. For example, when Toad is getting arrested on the street, he's like, you can't arrest a guy for singing a song. Yeah. So, like, so, like, <laughs> I thought that fit. And the truth is, at this point, Luigi did not have any characteristics besides being taller. We don't know anything. So, sure, he could be a younger brother. That works. He- well, Luigi, he, he was green Mario. Hey, it's Mario, but it's green. And that's it. And he wasn't even taller, like, in the first game. However... Luigi is usually player two. So Luigi is usually your little brother or your little sister or your mom. So like, I always felt that Luigi's always looked at that way as like, you know, he's like your little brother. He's like, ah, he's like not Mario. He's kind of like the off Mario. He's not, you know what I mean? Like he's. But you just took it to a different level, Colin. <laughs> There's a meta level to this. <laughs> That's what he's, Luigi He's represents. the green overall stepchild. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what about for you, Jeremy? What's something you enjoyed about the movie? So what I really enjoyed out of this, like from a technical aspect, was how they transferred between worlds. Like the warp, like the the sand kind of into the wall, disintegrate, like Infinity War disintegrate in and out. That was an innovative effect, I, I don't know about falling through whatever multi-dimensional they were doing. That's Doctor <laughs> Strange level stuff, but at least from a technical aspect that I really liked out of this. 
I mean, I think everybody would have preferred some sort of pipe for them to go through. But at the same time, like you said, yeah, it was a good effect that worked for the time as something. Oh, OK, that's new. That's original. We'll go with that. Yeah, it's it's still in the spirit of things, too, because it's a quote unquote warp. They mm-hmm. warp. And like that's a thing that you talk about in Mario is, oh, you warp to other worlds. We warp to the underground. So they probably went, yeah, yeah, a warp, like a, like a portal to another dimension. Or like, well, we're thinking more like pipes. No, no, no. We're on to something here. Let's just run with that. It, it's yeah, a, we it's can't squeeze the fat guy down a pipe. So yeah. we're going we're gonna to go <laughs> into a wall and out of a wall. Oh, all right. You know, like, it's just, I give up. Fine. You know, do, do, do your thing. I mean, maybe Bob Hoskins was uh, a little claustrophobic. So squeezing him down a pipe wasn't the best thing for him. <laughs> Augustus Gloob did it. Right. <laughs> well, so Colin, have we given you enough time? Can you remember a moment of joy in your viewing of this film? Um, to be honest, I, to be honest, the set is really cool when they go yeah. to, when they go to Dino Hatton and the weird, the weird, like, bumper car technology that the regular yeah. cars run on and like, like i said it felt like demolition man meets blade runner and like i had heard or i'd read at one point that some of the set pieces of that that part that weird multi-tiered street scene actually were borrowed from the set of blade runner they actually mm-hmm. took some actual set pieces from blade runner and used it in that movie i I can't remember for the life of me where I read that article, but I read that a long time ago. Um, And that like a lot of the set pieces and stuff for that scene were borrowed. And that's why it looks like particularly, you know, striking out of the whole movies when they go to this dino hat and this weird, this crazy set, you know, with this background of this, you know, big metropolis and stuff. It was actually kind of a neat concept. Yeah, and I think this is, you know, again, we know that at the time, like, Siskel and Ebert started off their worst movies of 93 special with Super Mario Brothers. That was the first movie they, like, we got to cover this. (laughs) This, (laughs) Do you know what else was on that? I don't know. I feel like we got to check it out. You know, Jurassic Park obviously was not similarly themed, though. Dinosaurs, come on. Yeah. But it's one of those things where, you know, people, I think, tried to forget it for a lot of years, but now it's come back around in kind of the so bad it's good type of film that people like to make fun of ironically on YouTube or whatever. (laughs) But uh, it's also uh, being celebrated. Uh, The guys who have run that smbmovie.com are doing these 25th anniversary screenings this year. And they they go all out, you know, so people are showing up in costume, they have themed, you know, snacks and stuff you could get and, and props that you can take pictures with. So it's pretty neat. Uh, That's you know, really so, cool. But I just I think it's fun when a movie, even though it disappointed initially, could get a second life mm-hmm. and, and, and a different perspective on it. But also they obviously had big plans because there's a, there's a cliffhanger and then there's an end credit scene when that wasn't really done back in the day. So I don't know if you guys stayed through the credits, but you mm. remember how it ended, right, Jeremy? Uh, with Daisy busting in with a flamethrower? I do remember the end credit scene, by the way. I did see oh. it. It was Spike and Iggy were their yeah. names, and they were still intelligent. They were getting interviewed for being in their own video game, right? Yeah, I can't remember what they named it, but I, but I just thought it was funny that, yeah, they have Japanese video game developers interviewing right. them. That's what inspired Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, Nintendo wasn't super 
involved in this movie, but I remember like, for example, when street fighter came out, there was a street fighter, the movie, the video game, right? You know, like, but there they was didn't do that for this. There wasn't even a board game. There was action figures, you know, there were a couple little playset props you could buy and some coloring books, stuff along those lines. So like there was some merchandising, but none of it was through Nintendo. No, um, they were, from what I understand, they were reticent about the whole darn thing is like they were approached with it and they were like, huh, okay. From what I understand, Nintendo up until Wreck-It Ralph with, who was in it? Was it Bowser? Bowser was in Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. Right? Up until that point, Nintendo was like, we're not putting any of our characters in movies ever again. Like because of Super Mario Brothers, they were like, nope, <laughs> we're done. Because I think what they what was twisting their arm was, oh, come on, you got a new Super Nintendo. We're sure you want to push that. You got this Super Scope 6 you're trying to push. And we're could put that in the movie and they're like oh okay you know we are trying to sell this this thing this new thing that we have right now and so i think the the whole idea with the, of the movie was to push super mario world and to sell super nintendos and things like that so uh, hence why there isn't a mario the movie the the game <laughs> oh, I mean, it would have been great though would have been great yeah it imagine awesome. i think it'd be funny if they did it with like somehow like that donkey kong country technology or something oh my it was just like weird 3d looking people <laughs> running around the other thing too is like you said so they were super tight with their properties in that regard i mean we didn't yeah. really even get cartoon shows anymore because back in the day it was like you know zelda and captain right. man would you mixed it all the characters in there the, the super mario brothers 3 we even got mega man cartoons you know like yep. there was all sorts of stuff and then it was just gone but now there's this big dreamworks super mario brothers animated film that's coming out in a couple of years i have not seen that announcement is this a is this a real thing <laughs> yeah yeah oh you know what my bad it's illumination entertainment it's the guys who do the minions that's what it is oh okay yeah interesting so they're developing it so it wow is, so yeah so something to look forward to we will see but i mean it's i am assuming it's going to be very much more in the style of the games as we know them now <laughs> let's hope off. so but let's... is there another live action mario to be had is there some way <laughs> what would have happened if they made super mario brothers 2 in 1995 or if we were going to say today let's watch that from our memories and let's try to do it it may be a more faithful adaptation is there a way to do that we are gonna throw those out there we're gonna spit out some fireballs at you and uh, see how you take them maybe you know we'll jump up and get an extra life out of it for the mario franchise who knows but colin why don't you share some of your ideas oh my gosh i'm going first um okay well so I, I wrote down my ideas in the vein of had they just not listened to us at all. Like the movie got released and they were like, yeah, right. You know, we're hearing a lot of criticisms. OK, well, we're going to do this. And like the, it's it's like the same directors and, and the same writers and the same. I decided to do it like with the same production quality and everything. So one of my ideas was that it's a it's a prequel to this Super Mario Brothers movie. So this is one of them. And the, the hilarious part about it being a prequel is that this is their first adventure as Mario and Luigi. So Mario and Luigi themselves, they don't really do much in this prequel other than you see them working on their apprenticeship and being plumbers. And <laughs> well, it's actually about 
uh, Daisy's mom, the queen, being like a Resident Evil star. Uh, Mila, like like a Mila Jovovich-esque hardcore martial arts action girl. Multiple scenes of her fighting multiple Koopas and Goombas like by herself, Neo style, like, you know, running around in a pole and like kicking them all and like landing. And, you know, she's fighting, you know, the evil regime of that Koopa is starting with his rise to power. You see him as as a general in his in the early what what I guess is some kind of fictional dinosaur army where he is the general in this dinosaur army and he forms a coup against the king where he, you know, the king, he's, he's the king's loyal advisor and he's, you know, he runs the king's army and then, you know, he develops the devolution machine, you know, with under the, you know, with his scientists and, you know, <laughs> he does, he's running tests, he pushes the king in, he starts his rise to power, the queen's trying to stop him, she eventually finds the piece of the meteorite throughout the course of this movie. It's just the, the thing that's going to be the most hilarious part is that it, it has nothing to do with the Mario Brothers. The entire yeah. movie is about <laughs> Daisy's mom and her versus King Koopa and like younger King Koopa and his rise to power. And like it would all make sense in the canon of the movie, but I imagine it would be very disappointing uh, to the hardcore and loyal fans. Yeah, I love um, the idea of like Mario and Luigi <laughs> walking across the street and like a manhole right. cover bumps up for a second and then that's it. <laughs> That's like, it. That was that's, their interaction in the that's, movie. That's their, that's their part. They don't do anything <laughs> exciting. They don't do anything related to the game. Like, I, I guess Mario's dating Daniela for the first time, and they're just hitting it off. And it's just really benign. And, like, their whole story is, like, not exciting at all. It's, like, the most boring B-plot to, like... Oh. A, exciting A-plot uh, with, you know, the queen. So there was that. And I wasn't really keen on that idea. I just kind of I thought I'd punch it out just to talk about the idea that yeah. what if what if we really didn't get it? What if, what if we re- like took it to a whole new level of not getting it and not <laughs> stand what the audience wants out of this movie? Uh, and then the other thing in the other you know vein of totally not getting it. Uh, let's let's make it hardcore. So this would be the hardcore Mario, which is like a sequel. This takes place after Daisy busts in with the flamethrower and goes, oh man, you guys, you better come back to Dino Hatton. And they're like, okay. But then they like start locking and loading like real guns and things like that. And it's just, uh, just grotesquely violent with like beheadings and blood everywhere and just graphic violence. And the Koopa Troopers are like regular dudes with like balaclava masks and green jackets. They look like almost like Batman, like uh, Joker villains or like, you know, like Two-Face villains. They all got like machine guns. And there's like lots of scenes of them like coming forward and machine gunning down like innocent people in like a desert wasteland, kind of like in very much in the same vein of like Fist of the North Star, where they're just mean and cruel to family <laughs> and children just for like what apparently no reason. And then Mario and Luigi just come in just, just violently murdering everybody and it's it is not rated pg it is an r-rated instead of know, jumping on people they curb stop people yeah, they you're just like oh them. this They're is bad sh- like the beheading people with shells and you know putting <laughs> guys on spikes like in the movie cliffhanger and like you know what i mean just just a real gritty like you know like like sin city-esque just just dark and 
and dripping with atmosphere and blood and and like there's like a a really gnarly death scene with koopa and like they just coldly take him out and you know he kidnaps princess da <laughs> i included this part he kidnaps princess daisy to like taunt him into coming after her very much I, did i write i think this is fist of the north star i think i just accidentally <laughs> wrote <laughs> Fist of the North Star. Uh, so yeah, it's it's Mario, but <laughs> it's the plot of Fist of the North Star. Wow. It's like, it's, I think that's what I accidentally did. The more I think about it. <laughs> uh, any more, Colin? You, you're wrong here. I, I could elaborate, but most of it was me trying to construct a movie trailer of just describing gruesome violence with Mario and Luigi, and them, you know, like shoving grenades in monsters' mouths and stuff like just completely, like absolutely everything on its topsy-turvy like completely out of character for everyone because that's what i feel like the movie originally is like it just felt like an exercise and okay here's the game how, how do we how do we get as far away from this as possible like with with how do we alter people so much that they're almost unrecognizable as characters um this is how i felt about about it all right well this is good then this is good because you had that concept you know again just continue with the madness and i said <laughs> What if we tried to do something to bring it back around? Okay, it's modern oh, day. Oh, no. Come on, Adam. Can we make this true <laughs> to the heart of Mario? So I give you, based on the box of the game, Super Mario Brothers 2, Mario Madness. <laughs> this is, in fact, a... It, it's a period film. Takes place in 1986. However... So that's simply for fan service, the fact that they're in the 80s when this starts off. So we have Mario Mario is a mustachioed plumber with a heart of gold. He's always helping to fix the leaky pipes of the less fortunate in his Brooklyn borough. We're being overcharged by a greedy corporate plumbing company called Bowser, the bathroom king. Mario's oh. kind of... <laughs> His kind heart doesn't pay the bills, and doing favors for neighbors makes him late for dates with his fiance, Pauline, who breaks off their engagement, stating, Your life is in those pipes, Mario. The way you pull out those hairballs, it's like you're digging <laughs> for gold. You flushed off, you get down the drain. The broken-hearted plumber later sees her dating a muscle-bound guy named DK. Not the Drift King from Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. <laughs> and if that film like, hey, you will find out later. Okay, so, meanwhile, Mario's hot-headed construction worker brother Luigi, who prefers to be called Lou, is having problems of his own. Because after dropping a giant concrete slab on the car of his jerk foreman Larry, the boss's son, who had been taunting Lou about his love of gardening, Lou ends up at Mario's to hide out. But when Larry and his crew of Goombas show up to exact their revenge with deadly force, the brothers take to the sewers to escape. Trapped in a dead end, the Mario brothers find a giant pipe bolted shut. But when Luigi tries to boost Mario up to a brittle brick ledge to escape to higher ground, Mario accidentally smashes the bricks, revealing a lever that opens the pipe and sucks them inside, <laughs> transporting them to a fantastical world. 
finding themselves adrift in open water off the coast. Mario and Luigi escape the clutches of swarming squid and a giant red fish before making it to shore to follow a creature that looks like a bird inside a turtle shell. They follow it to a village of little people called Shroomies, who wear mushroom-style hats and are in conflict with the Goombas, literal mushroom-shaped tough guys, because both groups depend on their livelihood of raising fire flowers to sell to the military of the Mushroom Kingdom royalty, Emperor Shiitake, and his Aww. daughter, <laughs> Luigi teaches the Shroomies some tricks to fertilize their soil and grow the flowers faster, which makes the Goombas jealous. And they kidnap Mario, thinking he is also a master gardener. Determined to rescue his brother Luigi and a Shroomie named Toad, who is looking to get away from the farming lifestyle, invade the Goomba village, which is guarded by spidey-shelled creatures and piranha plants. After being lifted up by a winged paragoomba and dropped into a cart full of fire flowers, <laughs> Luigi absorbs their firepower and glowing white hot is able to shoot fireballs at his enemies and rescue Mario. After Luigi's power fades, they are almost overwhelmed by the sheer number of Goombas, so Toad leads them to a pipe in the woods that will provide quick access to a secret underground passage back to the Shroomy village. Luigi is celebrated as a champion and protector, which further damages Mario's self-esteem, as he's always been the older brother to be depended on. When Mario suggests that the Shroobies become partners with the Goombas before things get out of hand, he is scoffed at. But sure enough, the Goombas arrive at the Shroomy village with reinforcements, a duo of mutant turtle mercenaries called the Hammer Brothers, who challenge the Marios to a fight for control of the Fire Flower Fields. Impulsive Luigi agrees to the showdown, thinking his firepowers will save the day, but the Hammer Brothers have flame-retardant armor that neutralizes the attack, and the Goombas are triumphant. <laughs> Angered that Toad and these Marios have doomed the village, they are banished, and Mario chastises Luigi for being a hothead and getting himself into trouble again, but Toad still thinks of Luigi as his own personal superhero. Mario and Luigi inform Toad that they have to find a way back to their world, and Toad mentions the legend that the Emperor is the only one who's ever been to the other side. So the trio set their sights on getting to the Emperor's castle. While wandering in the woods, the trio spy the gloating Hammer Brothers counting their gold coin payment from the Goombas, bragging about how they are actually hired guns for Bowser, a ruthless merchant who has become the main supplier to the Emperor by swindling the farmers out of their operations, and has bigger plans in mind to overthrow the current royalty and make himself king. When the Hammer Brothers are picked up by a descending airship sent by their boss, the Mario crew hitch aboard and try to thwart the would-be king's evil plans that would prevent them from ever getting home. Once inside, they find Bowser complaining to his son Larry over a telecom screen that though they've captured the elderly Emperor Shiitake, Princess Daisy is taking command of the Royal Army and sent her flying raccoon soldiers and P-Wing fighters to intercept the airship. Larry says he isn't worried because of his prowess with a magic wand, but Bowser insists he used more practical means. So while Bowser's forces aboard Larry's airship fire bullet bills at their attackers, Mario and Luigi are searching below deck, trying to rescue the Emperor and learn the secret of crossing the realms, finding him surrounded by man-eating chain chomps with razor-sharp teeth. Daisy interrupts the conversation with a rescue attempt of her own, assuming the Mario is to be guards employed by the kidnapper. But before they can explain themselves, Larry catches the would-be rescuers in the act and sicks a bruiser named Boom Boom on them. And in the scuffle, Larry's magic wand is bumped and accidentally transforms the Emperor into a puppy dog! <laughs> then Boom Boom knocks a hole in the side of the ship, causing the heroes to be sucked out into a death plunge. 
Daisy protects her doggy daddy and activates a raccoon's new pendant so that she can fly away to safety, but leaving the Barrios and Toad to fall to their deaths. Unknowingly, her pouch is pulled open by the force of the fall, causing more pendants to hit Mario and Luigi, giving them the power of flight as well. Luigi holds Toad, who gives them frantic lessons in raccoon tail flying, which they get the hang of just before hitting the ground. After seeing the airship crash in the distance, the brothers smooth everything over with the commando princess, who resembles Mario's ex-girlfriend. But she and the plumber have a contentious romantic thread that carries throughout the rest of the story. And uh, Mario <laughs> and Luigi are committed to protecting the dog emperor so they can find a way back home. But Daisy can't understand why her dog dad seems to really like this wimpy Mario so much. The band of freedom fighters finds themselves in a desert wasteland where they're taken prisoner and forced into a wild cross-kingdom go-kart race to the capital. They're also informed that in the absence of the Emperor, Bowser has set himself up as the new king, giving them all the more determination to win the race. So, best buddies Luigi and Toad team up to drive their cart, while Daisy reluctantly teams with Mario and demands that she do the driving. Their victory is threatened by devious racers like Mouser, a bomb-throwing rodent, an egg-spewing mutant named Birdo, and Larry, who survived the crash of the airship and was conscripted into the race himself. Finally, there's Donkey Kong, a gorilla who is the reigning champion of the race. The road is treacherous, taking them off-road through jungles, over rocky volcano-ridden paths, and the final stretch on the trippy Rainbow Road. Once Bowser catches the <laughs> on TV and sees Princess and Larry in the mix, he sends the Hammer Brothers as a last-minute entry in a tricked-out double cart to prevent the heroes from making it to the capital. Of course, Luigi jeopardizes his win by pridefully taking on both Hammer Brothers, causing Toad to see his hero in a less-than-favorable light. But failing to beat the Hammer Brothers once again, Luigi and Toad only get back to fourth place position when Mouser throws a bomb into Birdo's mouth, which is then spewed back into the road's cart, ending his run in the race. As Luigi and the Hammer Brothers battle for third, the race for first place comes down to Mario and Donkey Kong, who's obsessed with being the best, tossing out banana peels to make the Mario Kart spin out of control. Kong taunts Mario by letting someone else do the driving for him which causes the plumber to realize he's tired of being pulled along by other people's whims. He's taking control of his own destiny and grabs the wheel. Meanwhile, Larry, after a video screen conversation in his cart with Bowser, expressing his disappointment that his father didn't trust him enough to finish the job of stopping the heroes, <laughs> switches sides and sacrifices his own vehicle to help Luigi beat the Hammer Brothers once and for all. Mario witnesses the assistance from Larry and turns back to pick him up. Donkey Kong laughs that being a nice guy just cost Mario the race, and Daisy agrees. But it's actually through Larry's help in transforming Kong's cart into a giant banana with his magic wand that they win the race, with Luigi and Toad in second. Daisy has suddenly changed her mind about Mario and his kind nature. They don't stop to celebrate, though, as our heroes rocket towards the palace, barging in on Bowser. Daisy and the dog are captured, as are Larry and Toad. Now it's up to the Super Mario Brothers to save the day. The brothers battle Bowser, but when he eats a mushroom that makes him grow to twice his size, Luigi is thrown out a window into the royal garden, where he finds not only a fire flower, but another of those special mushrooms. Returning to the palace of Fire Mario, about to be stomped by Bowser, Luigi shoots a fireball to distract the villain, tosses the mushroom to Mario, saying, Eat it! This causes Mario to grow to Bowser's size, and Mario shows off some plumbing-themed wrestling moves while Luigi saves their friends. Mario ultimately wins by bashing Bowser's head in some brick walkways on the second floor. 
arrived at Bowser Falls, the two oblivion. Larry then changes Amber back to his old self, and he reveals the secret of crossing over to the other realm through an incantation. Nintendo. Nintendo. <laughs> they begin oh the chance back in the New York sewer. Was it all a dream? Wait and see. Super Mario Brothers 2! Mario Madness! Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is that a trilogy all in and of itself? It, that was an Lord epic. style. Wow. I have to say, that was very in-universe. Like, I could... <laughs> You know, like like the whole time I was imagining it, like while I was listening to it, I saw them as animated characters, like, you know, as their video game selves going through all of this. And it worked really well. The way you featured the enemies was really neat because it would get kids excited who are familiar with, oh, the boom, boom. Oh, the piranha plant. Oh, the, you know, the kinklinks. Like, oh, like, you know, the way they're featured and the way you threw in Mario Kart was actually very appropriate. I feel like Nintendo would let you produce this movie. I think, I think they would let that happen. I, I don't know about that. Hey, Jeremy, you sound pretty confident in your ideas over there, so let's hear them. All right. In a world where Mario and Luigi are real-world plumbers. Mario Brothers Plumbing. <laughs> One day, they come home. Hanging up the utility belts comes a knock on the door. And on the other side are ragged versions of their future selves. <laughs> In this time, there is exposition and the explaining of the world rules and what will follow. Alternate dimensions... Tech and weapons, Groundhog Day time loops, <laughs> desert level attacking suns, a Yoshi race, plus Mario Kart, and a castle mansion heist starring Mark Ruffalo as Mario, <laughs> Stanley Tucci as Luigi, <laughs> Reese Witherspoon as Peach. Rachel Bilson as Daisy, Jonah Hill voicing Toad, and voicing Koopa, the biggest, baddest Bowser of all, I am Nicolas Cage. <laughs> so, can you top that? <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you're, this is your, your literal pitch in a meeting. You're like, here's the cast, and let me show you some scenes from the game. We can do this. Mark Ruffalo as Mario. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Be an interesting take for sure. Visited by their future self. <laughs> yeah, and, and so we'd have to go through and explain, and we'd actually show them, like, dying and failing, and then resetting. Oh. Groundhog daytime loops. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's get down to it then. Adam, where does your vote fall? Wow. It's hard, you know? It's uh, Do I want ultraviolence? A little bit of clockwork <laughs> orange? I Mario? Or, or do I want Nicolas Cage? I mean, uh, it's uh, so many places to go. I mean, the truth is, like, in all reality, I would just want to spend another half hour pitching terrible ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've seen enough of that, so I will have to vote for Jeremy's pitch just because I, I feel like we could expand a little bit there. Jeremy gets my vote on that one. All right, Colin. 
honestly, I like Adam's idea. Like I said, because I was very easily visualizing the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that would work. And like I kept thinking about it. I was like, oh, that's very cute how he incorporated Mario Kart. This would work for children. Like the whole time I was like, yeah, I'd take family members to see this movie. This is all very cute. I like this. So, yeah, I, I found it to be very pleasant and, and very reminiscent of the game. So I, I, I vote for Adam's project. So, so Adam, <laughs> is your project like an actual sequel or is it more of a spiritual sequel or nothing really sequelized? It is a reboot. You could almost say, like, if, if there was going to be some weird retcon, it could be that they are, like, the sons of the, of the original Mario and Luigi or something <laughs> weird like that, you know? But, but yeah, it's, it's literally, it was almost the idea, I, the way I was going to justify it was saying, Super Mario Brothers 2, because there's two of them, oh. you know? <laughs> Oh boy, so this makes it difficult because I have to cast the vote. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, let's mash it all up and I will vote Colin so it's one vote apiece. We gotta throw this in a blender and come out with a coherent movie. Oh my all goodness. Right. Well, okay, how about, you know, when they bash Koopa's head against the rocks <laughs> later... Can can there be brain and eyeballs? You know, like can it just be really awful when when it happens? <laughs> like they like like almost like haha, we're playfully going to do this, and then they do it, and they immediately realize like oh that was that was intense. That was, that well, was I was I, yeah, I, mean, I think they, they <laughs> have that. They, well, they get up, they can stomp on a goomba. It's actually terrifying and, and scary. <laughs> so well, while while I was pitching mine, like when. When the future selves show up at their door, it would be very much Mad Max-esque. Like, they are brutal and beaten. So that would be, like, the first task would be to go through and face the desert in a violent, ultra-violent, I guess, Mad (laughs) Max-esque Mario kart race. If we're trying to make it, we could mash it up, but I still think we need to (laughs) flip Flip the script here, literally, and take the theme, bring it back to bright and joyful, and uh, <laughs> leave, leave it up to some pranksters on YouTube to make the ultraviolet version. But I just keep imagining, you know, close-up head explosions with sawed-off shotguns with, with Mario and Luigi on the other end of the... There's I, I... a mushroom-style paint job on those shotguns. <laughs> we could definitely use your premise, Jeremy, the question I have is, after their future selves show up, what happens to them? I would say they dissolve or disappear. Now, are these, is this Wario and Waluigi who show up, or are they... <laughs> Maybe. And it's really not them. This is really right. not... I always like the concept of Wario and Waluigi, like, they're they're just evil versions of them and i feel like they they definitely deserve a spot in the movie yeah they're just like slightly washed out like their coloration so it's like they look almost the same you know but they but you can tell there's something off about them you know it's just <laughs> and the other idea i was trying to figure out then is so why would mario and luigi want to get into that if they see all the trouble that's to come <laughs> so, they get pulled down a drain uh, against their will. Is that what's going to happen? That's how they end up there? You know, maybe that is how it happens, is they're kidnapped and taken to the the first warp world would be this, like, kind of gritty desert-type thing. And then 
maybe they find a path less taken and hit another warp, and that takes them to a more sunny and optimistic type world. And that's where we Mm -hmm. get the main portion of this movie. So the first one with Wario and Waluigi are more so to establish the world rules. Like, you only have so many lives before it resets. Hmm. And I like perhaps the dingy Mad Max world could be the world that could be if Koopa gets his way or something yes. like that. It's the world that, that you will, you know, you know, this is what you'll live in if, if you don't act soon. Yeah, so it'd be nice if we, it's almost like a bait and switch. So we think we're getting the same type of movie as last time. Yes. Right. So it pulls them in and then after that kind of erases, then they realize, oh, no, we're in this magical fantasy world. But yeah, like you said, that's what we're fighting for. That's what mm-hmm. we're trying to prevent. Now, the other question I have that again is, so now they're there. Do you like the thread of they have to get to the emperor in order to get home, but now the, the king of the emperor is being overthrown, so that's why they're staying there, because they got to find this guy and protect him and save him so that they can find their way back? Or what do you guys think? Because I'm just trying to think, what's their motivation still? For well, being I there? always thought the motivation was to be was to rescue Peach or to rescue Princess Toadstool or Paulette or Daisy. Or Pauline. In this uh, era that we live in, I don't think mm. people rescue the princess anymore. That's oh, why I mean, you're right. You know? No, you're right. She can't be a woman just waiting to be rescued. You're right. That's not. Oh, come on. We can Shrek this. Like, come <laughs> on. <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, like, it would be more forward thinking to, to try a, a better or a different motivation. To or there to could be world. two princesses. So there's Daisy and there's Peach. So one of them is always in another castle and they're chasing, right. trying to find her, but it's with the sister's help. So the sister's <laughs> a little more butt kicking. You what, know, that... what if we gave it a, a different twist here? Let's say these, uh, these two brothers are bachelors and <laughs> they're introduced to these princesses in the gritty world. They, they kind of have their favorites that they like and then they're split up. Mario is not with Peach, but with Daisy, and they have to work together to get back to Luigi and Peach. So we're we're following a dual story where they're both fighting to find each other. And maybe perhaps they're both, the, like, we see how wrong for each other both sets are. Oh, very much. And they kind of have, like, you know, odd couple-esque, you know, arguments and quips throughout the movie of them helping each other out and having to work together and, you know, things like that. I can totally see that awkwardness with the pairings that I've put together there. Yeah, and it'd be funny. Like, it's like, oh, well, I don't know what Mario sees in you. Or you could you could have a lot of a wealth of little jokes there for that. So, yeah, so, I mean, that could definitely be the running thread. But you're just saying, is it kind of like they're separated and going through the different lands until they meet up? So there's two adventures happening simultaneously? I would say yes. That okay. would be easiest rather than the one group going through four different lands have two different traveling parties going through and meeting up at the third. How would you feel about the third being the Mario Kart race like I had? Like, so that's like they get together and that's where they end up like on that final run because they then got to beat Koopa. They got to do whatever they got to do. Right. Um, 
so that way, you know, like you said, like you get you get your experiences in these different lands. We gotta have a like as long as we have a seed with with flying raccoon tails, I'll be happy. <laughs> I just I want I want to see like soldiers that are get their got their raccoon outfits on battling. You know, maybe a tanuki suit here and there. You know, you got the guys in the frog suits down below, the literal frogmen. <laughs> well, I mean, we can do that. Maybe even have one of them doing some racing in one of their worlds in order to get to the finish line to jump to the next world. And the other one is having to go through some underwater and stuff where they got to put on the frog suits. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I don't know why, but I kept thinking of the joke. Like <laughs> when you were starting the Mario Kart race, it was like, there's Mouser, there's Birdo. And I was like, and there's Saboba. And like, I just imagine like, him just gets, getting in his pod. Oh. You're, just, like, you're just supposed to accept it because he's there. And, <laughs> you know, see him crash himself out. Why uh, not? You know? Like, well, it's the it's the third act pod race sequence. So exactly. I was like. <laughs> Put E.T. Uh, in there while, while we're at it. You know? And, and Elliot. But yeah, I. I I don't know. I really like that though, as a climactic moment, because it's, I just, you could just see it. And I don't know if you knew that you were incorporating this, but did you know for the GameCube, there was a game called Mario Kart Double Dash, where they actually did have double carts with two oh, characters no, I sitting didn't in know that. So yeah. I was wondering that. I was like, I was pretty sure you didn't play that, but you also subconsciously incorporated another element of Mario Kart in there, uh, like just for fun. And I'll, and I'll mention the one element that I did include in there about Luigi being a construction worker that is in Mario lore because. Because even before Super Mario Brothers, there was this game called Wrecking Crew. It's Wrecking Crew, that's right. Yeah. Yes. So Mario and Luigi and that just going around bashing stuff with hammers like the Punisher in that Netflix series. <laughs> Everybody was watching that. Gotta break this wall. Oh, gonna eat this sandwich. Gonna break this wall. That's what I got out of the Punisher Netflix series. <laughs> Okay, uh-huh. I haven't seen it yet, but now you've just made me want to watch it. With thinking, <laughs> I gotta eat this sandwich. I gotta break this wall. <laughs> That's the first two episodes. <laughs> yeah, I I think the only other question that I have, Jeremy, is so with Nicholas Cage Koopa uh, as you're proposing. Is does he have an eccentric plan, or is he just taking over the Mushroom Kingdom? Well, he's Nicholas Cage, so whatever we want to do with him, really. Is he going to take his face off and put Mario's face on his... You know, he might be playing with masks. I mean, I've not ruled it out. You think he's a vampire? I don't know. (laughs) I think, you know, yeah, we've added a few little plot elements here, a few more character development issues. But I really want to get into, because what really sets the vibe and the attitude is the directing situation Mm -hmm. and obviously we don't want the original directors back but i do think we still want a team of directors and the team of directors that i'm proposing are the wachowskis (laughs) speed racer not the world's best film but it is basically faithful to a cartoon made in the you know the 60s or whatever by japanese people about american racers you know what i'm saying so it's like I feel like they could really 
adapt and bring us that colorful, vibrant, kinetic, exciting side of the Mario universe. Hmm. And we already know it's going to be crazy. And they've given, you know, given us Jupiter Ascending most recently, and it wasn't a thrilling adventure, but it, it was ambitious. Oh God. You just reminded me of Jupiter Ascending. Like, I <laughs> forgot about it. Like completely. The internet like, never forgets it because they seem to keep finding it on our website. Seriously. <laughs> yes. And, uh, oh, very that's popular. really funny. <laughs> so, but what do you guys think about that? Would you be up for giving the Wachowskis a shot at Mario? I mean, if they're willing to do it, sure. I don't think they can write the script. Somebody else is going to have no. to No. For their visual and technical prowess, I think they would be smart choices, too. Wachowskis are in. Yes. No no doubt on the Wachowskis. We want a fantasy film. Right. The, the whole thing is a fantasy. Now, what? okay, this may be a little weird sounding, but what if we had multiple... Okay, maybe not directors, but photography leads so that hmm. when you do the, the dark and gritty, you get the same feel as Mad Max, and then you can go to somebody that's got a much lighter tone. So, I mean, you don't have to go like Christopher Nolan directing 10 minutes of this movie. Do you know who comes to mind, though? Like, it, when it comes to juxtaposing dark and and bright is freaking Tim Burton. Yeah, done done he does that a lot i feel like you approached tim burton with the mario brothers movie he's like absolutely not right he would say no he would say yeah he would say no uh but i mean like lord miller as a backup or you let lord miller shoot for a couple weeks (laughs) and then replace him yeah well tim burton it's just when you were talking about like oh we're gonna go from dark and gritty to like like a fantasy world and i was like he was the first director that came to mind when you said that i was like yeah he does that really well like you know just look at scissor hands like the way he did the cookie cutter neighborhood and how colorful and cheery it all looks and two alice wonderland movies right the problem i the only issue i have with burton is just that he it will be a muted color palette I don't know You're right. Actually, do a bright and really exciting movie, you know, like so. Like that's my only concern is would he be willing to adapt in that way? Right. So maybe he comes in for the first part and introduces us to the world and the gritty and and that's when we have a change. When the color comes in in Wizard of Oz. Yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. But that means Nicolas Cage is out, Johnny Depp is in as Bowser. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Johnny Depp will be in there in some random, random yeah. character. Maybe he'll he's Birdo. Code, but he's going to play it live action. He's like, I want you to only shoot my head. And you're going to build, <laughs> I'm going to be under the stage floor. And just my head with little feet is going to wander around. I don't know. He's a shy guy. He's wearing yeah. a hat. It's his there voice. You, you know it's him. <laughs> it's... All right. Well, let's let's get more into casting then, because Jeremy had some interesting ideas. Um, I had a few in mind as well. Just, again, kind of some actors. I felt like I was going a little bit younger because I was trying to say, like, maybe this is kind of a jumping off point for a franchise. He's a podcaster. He's an actor. He's a comedian. But this guy, his name is John Gabris. And I don't know if anybody listens to, you know, the Comedy Bang Bang podcast. He has another one called Raised by TV. And he is like a young Artie Lang. Because Artie Lang was my first thought, you know. For my, but then like, Artie Lang comes with a lot of baggage. Gabrus is fresh-faced. And plus, I feel like he could get both sides of being kind of, you know, wild and, and real frenetic. And then he could also bring it down. He could play it 
you know, safe. So, but he's gay, but he's, a, he's always a guy from New York. who's going to have that kind of attitude. And then as Luigi, I was pushing Joe Manganiello, you know, just a big buff, good looking Luigi. That's super awkward around women. That would be a juxtaposition. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he would play it that like, I don't know. I'm Joe Manganiello, you know, like he's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just an awkward guy in this hunky body type thing. And, and I mean, you could, Play them up as brothers. Uh, then there's that uh, for Daisy. In my, in my version, it was Daisy. I was thinking Rachel Nichols, who I think is awesome. I don't know if you guys know much of her work. I know her mostly from G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. She, you know, oh, because you were, you were thinking, like, I, I didn't really imagine her as, like, more of, of a really, like, like a tough girl, like, kind of. So that's what you're doing with Daisy. Like, she's kind of a full-on commando type. For Toad, just to tie it in a little bit, Let's let John Leguizamo voice a little character. Oh my gosh. <laughs> John Leguizamo. <laughs> for Bowser, this is kind of weird, but I felt like he would live it up. And he's played his fair share of bad guys. I felt like John Hamm would have a lot of fun. Yeah. Bowser. Yeah. Again, just voicing. I, I don't want him to be human. I want him to be a dinosaur man or whatever. Yeah. And then for Larry, or, you know, one of the Cooper kids, Jay Barakel, weird Canadian guy who, trying to think of what you guys are. Well, Nicolas Cage connection. He was in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, ah. that actor. Yeah. Director now, but I'm sure he would come back around. And He directed those goon movies. Sean Patrick, what's his oh, face? Oh, really? Oh, okay. Uh, they're very big in Canada, apparently. But yeah, so those are just, again, some of my casting ideas I was throwing around. I like John Hamm as Koopa. He works really well in a villain role. I feel like he could have a lot of fun with it. The other idea I had just as a Mario Luigi was Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn. I don't know why. Oh, my gosh. I was like, that'd be an interesting pairing. Oh, my goodness. Or, or I guess just reunite. Get John Favreau and Vince Vaughn, <laughs> kind of a Woody Allen version of Mario. <laughs> you know? What about Danny DeVito as Mario? You know, I was thinking that, and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he'd be up to do it. He's an older guy. Well, and then the other one I had for Luigi was like uh, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> <laughs> I would love those two. Danny DeVito and Steve Buscemi. Well, they're like like if you aged them, like a like a future scene or something, you know, if you wanted to show that, you could show them both sitting on a porch talking about the good old days or something. Or maybe no. they're they're Wario and Waluigi. It's it's DeVito and Buscemi. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> it's like oh, just perfect. just everything about them is like a little bit off, you know, they're not quite <laughs> what you imagine them to be. I'm you, but like two feet shorter. <laughs> yeah, I think just most important is we got to nail down Mario and Luigi. So we got to say who we really are on board with on this. I don't know if you guys have Googled John Gabris, but you see if you like no, his No, I part. haven't. I did. And yeah, that'd work. I mean, if we wanted to go the younger route, sure. I, I also don't know if Mangianello would want to get into another series like i don't know if we want to make this a jumping off point or more of a you're counting justice league as him being part of a universe in a because <laughs> i'm sure he wants to jump ship as quickly as possible oh my gosh <laughs> nothing true blood is that done i don't know yeah i i don't know so is this more of a a movie where we 
put it out for the fanboys to say, hey, we're sorry, this is how it should have been done, and just leave it at that. Because that's something that studios don't do anymore, are put out a single movie that tells a single story and leave it. Well, and, and I'm sure like there would be, you know, we'd have an end credit scene that would set up what's to come. So if you're if you're concerned as whether or not he wants to keep getting paychecks and make a lot of money, I think he's going to be. I on... don't know about a lot of money. I mean, <laughs> you saw how much the last one lost. We're bringing it back around here. And that's what I'm saying. We're also we're in the age of 80s nostalgia. I almost feel like the problem with Super Mario Brothers 93 is that they were making it at the height of Mario fandom. Right. It just blew it. Whereas this one, it's like everybody has expectations and studios are ready to meet the expectation. They're ready to come in and say, yeah, we'll give you like a direct adaptation or we'll follow Marvel's lead. And you know what? Let's keep everything we can. Let's get some, you know, Nintendo fans that are involved <laughs> in the writing, you know, whoever it is. Uh, and by so, the way, I am looking at pictures of John Gabris. I, I actually see what you're saying with that. When the show goes up, I'm going to let him know on Twitter that we cast yeah. him. Mario, I'm sure he'll be on board. <laughs> John Gabris accepts role as Mario. Is it, wait, no, we weren't producing something. <laughs> you misunderstand. Um, so, and Helena Bonham Carter is the voice of a piranha plant or something. Yeah. And she, she's in there too. Oh, she's totally Birdo, man. <laughs> she's Birdo. Yeah, she's Birdo. Mirrors and Dimensions, a journey into the world of Super Mario Brothers. Or just <laughs> Super Mario Brothers World. Super Mario Super World. Mario Brothers World. Super Mario Worlds. Is, is what what was that Crit Tarantino movie? Four Rooms or something? So yeah. It's called Four Levels. Four Levels. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's, it becomes an art house film, you know. God, Four Rooms is like 60% good. <laughs> that's that's all I'm going to say about Four Rooms. Was that a collaboration? Was Robert Rodriguez in on that one too? He sure was. He directed one of the shorts. It was Tarantino so, Rodriguez and um, I forgot who the other director. There's two, I think two other directors too. Well, I, I like the idea also with this at the end, once this movie comes out is, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, working in a, a different space of filmmaking with the collaboration. And then right. I feel like Nintendo needs to launch some sort of new platform. You know, this is after the switch. So that let's say fun. by then Nintendo jumps on the VR train and mm. they're doing like Mario Kart in VR and stuff like that. And maybe the, oh, the DLC yes. for that game could be the track from the movie. And a no, I've got it. I've got it guys. Here's what it is. We don't cast Mario. You are Mario. You're Mario. <laughs> it's the first virtual reality movie released to theaters with headsets. So you <laughs> are watching the movie first person as Mario and experiencing oh my God. it. It's a four guest seat. So you're jumping up. You're getting sprayed with water. You know, what a headache. Be great. <laughs> We've done it. Cracking. There's so many scenes in the movie where Mario gets splashed or missed in the face with water. It's just really <laughs> strange. Yeah, if you want to see what that might be like, just watch the trailer for Hardcore Henry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's essentially... Yeah. that. That is what the movie is. It's POV, first-person shooter, whole movie. Which I couldn't jump in on like like i was like you know that must sound really cool to like a guy in a bar that you're just talking to like oh, the, the whole movie's in first person he'd be like yeah that sounds awesome and then you actually watch it you're like wow like 
I'm getting motion sickness. Like I have a headache this whole time. Like it's not, it's, it's, it's a better idea on paper than an execution. See, but that, that's when Nintendo invests in aspirin and drink, <laughs> you know, and then they, so they just, they make their money back no matter what. Wow. You know, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the show folks. Super Mario Brothers 2, I guess. Super Mario. I mean, there's, there's gonna be. We gotta figure out a title down the line, but I mean, or is it just Super Mario Brothers? You know, a land of adventure or something like that. <laughs> Super <laughs> Mario <laughs> Dimensions. Dimensions. I like that. Yeah. So go ahead and share your thoughts with us online. Tell us who you think should play Mario. Let us know on social media at SQPod. Find the Facebook page. I want to remind you that we are on a lot of platforms now. Podbean and Google Play. SoundCloud is where we were traditionally. But we're on iTunes, of course. And basically any type of podcatcher, overcast, you just search for us. And if you don't find it, reach out to us at SQPod on Twitter and we'll get you a direct link for the feed to add to your catcher. I mean, that's that's the easiest way to add it. And if you're not reaching out to us, reach out to your friends. Tell them to give the show a listen. They're going to be thrilled. I've seen recommendations all the time on Twitter. And people are like, that sounds like a show I'd really be into. I think you would too. And so uh, we've actually gotten a lot of our guests that way, where friends suggested the show, and all of a sudden now they say, I got an idea. So feel free to share the love. Meanwhile, Colin, I'm reaching out to you. High five. Thanks Woo-hoo! for coming back, buddy. Absolutely. Anytime. I, I had a lot of fun. Next time I'll, I'll try to write a better treatment because you always upstage <laughs> us with your, with your great treatment. But yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. This was, this was a terrible amount of fun. <laughs> and what did you play it after the show? I think I, I'm playing Dark Souls and yeah, <laughs> I've been playing a lot of Dark Souls lately. The, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really well-made game. It's very hard and very challenging, but it's also very rewarding. So it's a this good game. This episode brought to you by Dark Souls. Brought to you by Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, here I go. That's the <laughs> <laughs> That's the episode. hope you enjoyed this episode of sequel quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was share your ideas with the sequel quest universe by visiting sequelquestpod.com following us on twitter at sqpod on facebook by searching sequel quest or sending an email to sequelquestpod at gmail.com let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five star rating on itunes All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 